you look at uh, concepts of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, social determinants of health. And it's, you know, a big part of that is you know, housing and, you know, you need to have to be able to develop trust to the people so they can trust the, the system. They can trust the, the people that are administering health. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating that it all comes down to building trust. Welcome to World Beat. I am George Collins. I hope all you good folks out there are doing well whenever and whenever you are tuning in. It never quite seems to end, does it? We're almost uh, two years into the COVID-19 pandemic and Americans just can't seem to catch a break as all these new variants emerge and we're hearing all these policy debates over lockdowns, school closures and vaccine mandates, all kinds of other stuff. And it's pretty daunting for folks like us on the outside because we're struggling to keep up with the breakneck pace of change. What about all those folks on the inside? That's a whole different ballgame now, ain't it? Popular coverage of healthcare workers has been as hot and cold as leftover lasagna. They've been hailed as essential workers and heroes and other times demonized as liars and pill pushers and everything in between. But it's important to remember that these people are human. They have thoughts, feelings, emotional responses to the crisis, just like you, me, and all the rest of us. And the story inside the clinic walls is just as complex as the story outside of it. And today we're going to highlight one such professional's experience in the field and some of the strategies that are being implemented to provide quality care both for patients and also workers themselves. So joining me on World Beat is Miles Perilla. Miles is a former nurse manager and the founder of Miles Perilla Consultant. He's worked in several environments, ranging from small to large matrix healthcare organizations, and he specializes in implementing leadership training and strategies. He's also the host of the Insightful Nurse Leader podcast. Miles, thank you very much for coming on World Beat today. Thank you, George. Glad to be here. Well, I grew up in the Philippines, basically. I was born and raised in the Philippines um, back in the 80s. <laughs> um, so never really wanted to become a nurse. Um, you know, uh, back in the day, uh, a lot of uh, families are, uh, are encouraging their kids to go to nursing school to have a better life here in the U.S. And that's in the case for myself uh, and actually for a lot of my friends actually. So came in here, uh, went to nursing school, came in here back in uh, 05, 06, um, started in the ER in Chicago, freaking cold in Chicago, <laughs> especially nowadays. Um, so yeah, and but really the spark didn't start until um, I, my younger brother had a near fatal car accident and that's really what sparked my interest in emergency nursing. So ever since I've always been in the emergency nursing trauma, healthcare field and such. And after a year or two, I realized that there was a lot of gaps in healthcare operations. And what I mean by that is how do you um, integrate clinical care, maintaining clinical care, and then managing budget. Because at the end of the day, you're running a business. And this was back before I became a manager and leadership. And that's when I pursued my master's in business, moved here, uh, moved to the Northwest uh, to pursue my MBA. And uh, 
worked on getting into leadership roles. And, and that's how I, you know, started my journey in leadership and worked in different uh, healthcare organizations, different sizes, and made considerable impact in different organizations. And now I'm in a, my journey now to on entrepreneurship, specifically focusing on nurse leaders, because especially now we have so much turnover in healthcare and such, we really need leaders that could help our younger folks, our younger professionals coming into the nursing field to be able to lead the way and how do you um, administer properly healthcare, especially in, in, during these tumultuous times. And the reasoning behind going abroad to uh, refine skills, was that just because of a lack of opportunities at home or were there other factors at play? I would say yes for obviously a better career advancement. Uh, when I was, before I went to nursing school, my family and I would go here in the U.S. every summer. Uh, that was, gosh, that was obviously before 2001. And we would stay at a family friend's house uh, in the suburbs of Chicago who were nurses themselves. And really, my dad saw the, the, the stability of the profession and also the, the, the potential for, for, for earning. And to me, I didn't see it that way. Uh, but then again, you know, from a practicality standpoint, back in the Philippines, that was the, the general perspective, given that obviously healthcare there is, is way different. And, you know, from, from a revenue standpoint, from an earning potential standpoint to job opportunities. So um, that's why we have a lot of nurses moving here from, from the Philippines or in other countries as well. And what did your parents do? So my dad is a businessman um, and pretty much he has this manpower company and I grew up with that. I grew up around that business and, you know, working with people management. That's probably why it comes so natural with me to be able to lead and, and you know, manage operations because I went through that exposure younger. As I actually my first job was actually for my dad in construction. So, um, you know, that's probably why it comes natural for me back then. And, you know, it was a, a I learned to love nursing uh, as I moved on and really integrated the people management and operational management uh, when I became a nurse. Now, you mentioned that there are certain weaknesses within the healthcare system of the Philippines. What are some of the challenges faced out there, and how do you find they compare to issues in the healthcare system stateside, especially as you got more integrated into the healthcare system here and were able to draw those comparisons? Right. For the number one thing, really, and even, even here in the U.S., number one thing is access, right? It's um, the, the elephant in the room is a payment model. And uh, obviously, in the U.S., we're not a socialized medicine and such. Um, but there, it's if you don't have money, you don't can't get care. And there are public hospital systems, but then there's not much good um, resources uh, that are well funded, and so that impacts access, that impacts quality. Obviously, they try their best. And then the other piece of that too is that workforce you know most of the workforce there do their best to travel abroad because of a better um, income potential as i mentioned earlier so it really impacts the system in general and just the payment model itself has a lot of impact with the delivery of care um, obviously there are private hospitals there uh, as well as public hospitals but then private hospitals 
you know, do require payment. We don't have the other piece of that too that I wanted to mention. We don't have um, laws uh, that protect consumers, such as an Imtala law. Here in the U.S., you have that that was instituted back in the 1980s. Uh, that you know, any emergency department is required by law to to treat anyone who deems um, anything that they perceive as an emergency, any layperson perceives as an emergency, regardless of their ability to pay or religion background or whatever have you. Um, we are required to provide emergency medical treatment. We don't have that in the Philippines. So obviously that's, that's, that's one of the benefits being an American here um, that we didn't have back in the Philippines. Well, it's definitely a familiar tale for a lot of countries around the world. I've spoken with many folks from the African continent. You'll find similar stories out there that there will be a lack of opportunities continent side. And so they'll go abroad to uh, get educated, use their talents, do all that sort of thing. And nursing is also very common for them. Uh, the term I often hear for it is brain drain. And in my head, it seems like that cycle would just end up creating like a flywheel effect where as more talent goes abroad and as a small percentage of it comes back, if any of it does, that's less talent that can bring up the next generation, like what you talked about earlier with, I mean, that's what leadership is, isn't it, is that you lead other people. And then pretty soon you're going to get to where, well, there ain't a whole lot of talent left (laughs) to bring up any kind of new talent. And knowing what you do about leadership and talent retention on this smaller level of the institution, what are some possible ways to fix that in a countrywide sense like the Philippines? Understanding that if you were, you know, President Perilla or whatever title you want to use, I mean, you wouldn't just have a magic wand to fix everything. But what are some ways that could encourage talent to come back in the country, remain, and um, possibly solve such a problem? Right, right. Uh, are you referring to healthcare in general? Yeah, yeah. Uh, healthcare in this context, but possibly to be applied to other industries too, depending on what their metrics are and what they look like. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's a very complex question, obviously. But to me, the way I see it, the reason is to understand why people leave, right? And, and what I mentioned is really about the economic uh, potential. Uh, earning, uh, so to speak, uh, I would say to encourage people to go back. Um, really, one way is to be able to invest on more of infrastructure and hospital systems there. Um, invest more in people development. Invest more on research and development. You know, it's amazing that you know having met a lot of um, smart. Uh, nurses who came from the Philippines here in the US or, you know, even outside the country. Um, there are a lot of people that have left the Philippines because they have a lot of talent, but then again, the local labor market there does not have any place for them to be developed in, in largely because the way uh, the labor market is being used in the Philippines is because it's, it's, it's heavily on, you mentioned agriculture. The other heavy part of of the economic, I guess, drivers is tourism. And there's also a lot of call centers. And you'll see this in perhaps other third world countries where it's labor is cheaper, right? Yeah, they speak English really well. And even for me, English is my second language. And, you know, I mean, I think I can speak that well. Um, so a lot of that is is being invested in the Philippines, more of of the task-based, but not more of your 
critical thinking skills, specialized skills. Like there's a lot of engineers here that go to, you know, like Middle East or whatever, uh, or IT companies in that regard. And then that's no different from healthcare. So I think to, to, to answer your question is the same concept with any other industry is to really be able to invest those, um, talent in the Philippines, invite people to be in, invite more investors on healthcare in the Philippines rather than just use them just for labor. You know, use them just as a call center. I mean, you have bachelor's prepared, even master's prepared nurses being a call center agent. It's just, you know, a misuse of talent in a way or underutilization of talent. So utilize them to the best of their abilities. I think that's how you, that's how you encourage people to come back. And obviously the economic benefits will just, you know, slowly come back. Well, and you know what you're, what you're saying actually reminds me a lot of um, Mexico. Like that's the kind of program I've seen a lot um, in speaking to folks down there in that there's quite a bit of investment, not just in their industry, but also in uh, higher education too, um, which is actually something, I don't know how many folks know this uh, stateside, that more folks actually go back to Mexico every year than come into the country at this point. And right. um, which is, you know, something that if you told somebody that 20 years ago, they'd just be like, that's, that's insane. I don't believe it. But um, no, that's, that's the case. So it feels like there's definitely models out there and uh, we certainly hope for that. But turning back to your story, you know, you you arrive and you embark on nursing school, and you know we, we've we've all heard some of the uh, stories about how intense uh, nursing school can be, just medical school in general, right? You get some real gunnies in there. What was your experience like? And as you started to interact more with U.S. healthcare, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you saw when you first got in? I'd say the biggest part was adjusting to the culture, like any other individual or professional coming in from a different country obviously it's it's the culture you know although you know i i I, back in the day we would go here every summer before i immigrated here Mm -hmm. i would say the obviously it's a culture adjustment and obviously when i moved to the 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 midwest that was the weather because i was winter (laughs) september or october yeah that's Uh, real different from that uh, island climate isn't it yeah yeah definitely so so yeah that was a the the big change and and obviously over time you adapt to uh, to that but it's it's interesting because people have a different different coping mechanism in all that and i think that's what most um perhaps most organizations um may or may not have considered well or others do it w- better where if you get um uh, workers from other countries, there is really a huge adjustment on on culture, especially if you've never been here before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? Culture shock is going to be big everywhere that you go, <laughs> and yeah, especially in a in a profession as as high pace and as breakneck as something like healthcare. Right, uh, seems like that's only going to get compounded. So, after your time in nursing, what inspires you to take the more entrepreneurial route to? spread whatever lessons you might have learned to other facilities where does that really begin yeah so that began back in chicago after a year of nursing in in the clinical setting being a clinician so to speak i uh, really saw the the gap in how departments organizations were being ran and and i think that I, i attribute that to my background having, you know, being exposed in business from my dad, being able to see the gaps in how organizations are very reactive as far as 
utilizing labor, for example. Um, obviously, in, in any hospital setting, the largest the part of the cost expenditure is labor because obviously it, it pays much to, to, to hire nurses or doctors or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of leaders in my experience back in the day what I realized that a lot of them didn't really have any background in running a business. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have been, you know, uh, good with the clinical uh, p- part of running uh, healthcare, uh, like a charge nurse or in that regard, but then again, has not been able to learn the finance side of things or the op- actual operational management of things. And it, a lot of them were knee jerk reaction and, at the end of the day, it impacts quality care. You know? Sorry, just to clarify. So is this, are these people who move up to head up departments or are we talking more like hospital administration? Like what, what level of the chain does this tend to be? I would say in the middle of management. Okay. And, and actually to your point, there's actually, it, it, it impacts the care delivery in different from different levels, and what I what I was meant, what I was just saying is that is these are middle managers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other portion of that too, those that are in the senior level, obviously have been far off removed from clinical care. They may be nurses, but then again, they've been so far removed from clinical care. So that's why the the role of middle management in any healthcare setting is really crucial to be able to bridge that gap of someone who's making big decisions that impacts clinical care because they connect fill in the blanks so so they can understand how decisions impact the quality of care being delivered and yet not compromise that and and obviously make the organization profitable i see and so your 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 business um did did it start as this this consultant business now or was there a prior form of it that evolved into this you know what? It's this is actually the first version of it, mm. and thus I just started this back in October, um, mainly because I uh, when I left my role, I really uh, really looked into what I what I love to do, and that was all about teaching and and coaching younger leaders, and that's what I've been doing even even when I was a nurse manager, I was I was helping grow my charge team, I was helping grow you know uh, my supervisor and you know, and uh, promoted a nurse to become another supervisor in a different department I was managing. And really, I thought I saw the value of having good leaders to be able to role model and coach and mentor and and really grow the team to be able to achieve things that, you know, uh, beyond what their, you know, expectation was. Excellent. And definitely want to get into more of some of the results that you've seen from that and just across the board. That's where we're going to go in our next segment. So stick with us here on World Beat. We'll be right back. <music> 